let's get into the text. 1 Samuel chapter 22 through 23. This will be the last sermon for a while in Samuel. We'll pick it up again sometime after Easter. Next week, we're going into the book of Ephesians. Now, wouldn't it be nice if every day began like this? Good morning. This is God speaking. Now, I've got a couple of things that I really want you to do today. In fact, three things that we can talk about right now. First, you're going to have an interaction with a person, and I want you to say this exactly to them. Second, you're going to have a a really complex decision that you're confronted with, and this is exactly how I would like you to handle that decision. You know how you've been praying for your mother with her health? Well, here's what I intend to do with that. I mean, talk about clarity. Wouldn't it be incredible if we got a daily download from God just like that? But the problem with that kind of download is it requires no faith, no reliance, no prayer. And God really, really cares about faith. You look at Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is what makes God's economy move. And if that's the case, then God tends to guide us through various forms, different means. It's almost as if God's saying, are you paying attention? Are you watching? Are you listening? As we look at 1 Samuel 22 through 23, we're going to see very clearly that God is leading David in the midst of his desperation. And just like I said, he gives various forms of guidance to David. We're looking at four episodes, and in all four episodes, four different forms of guidance. So we're going to pick up with episode number one, And I've titled this episode, When God Amends Our Plans. We'll look at chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, I want to observe something right away. Uh, You'll notice in this little vignette and the one that comes before it that David is shifting location quite a bit. In fact, he's uh, shifting location frantically, and the shift of location is representative of the chaos of his life right now. The caves, or Gath, and then the caves, and then Moab. 
The Bible's saying nowhere's safe. And as you look through the changes of location, you'll also observe that there is no guidance from God with each choice. I mean, David's just simply moving about and he's hoping for the best. And some of the decisions, they even seem erratic to us. You go to the story just before this one, David flees to Gath. Now, if you know the background, Gath is the place where the Philistines live. So David is running into the arms of the enemy. David, who killed his ten thousands of the Philistines, running to the Philistines. Now, we are looking at that and we're saying, what in the world is he doing right now? I think in his own calculating mind, he thought that's the last place that Saul would expect me to go. Here's the thing, when it comes to these Bible stories, we got to understand that if my life, if your life was a biblical reality TV show, people would be looking at some of the decisions we make along the way and say, ugh, I wouldn't do that right now. And here's the thing, uh, think about that magnum opus song, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. You would cry too if it happened to you. That's the point that we'll see in the scriptures this morning. Because it turns out that we all can be reactionary when we feel disoriented. All of us. I think about all those people that have been moving in the last two years and changing jobs. They call it the great resignation and I would call it the great relocation. I was just talking to a pastor this week. We had a wonderful lunch. This question came up. He said, a lot of my congregation has moved away in the last couple of months, and we were reflecting, why is this happening? And we both kind of came down to the concept that this might just represent change for the sake of change. Change for the sake of change. Everything feels upside down right now. New scenery just might be the ticket. But here's the thing. You can't run away from your problems. And sometimes when you try to run away from your problems, you run into new problems. And David does just that when he goes to Gath. He shows up to Gath. It is not friendly territory. He must plead insanity to get away from Gath. I would call David's decision there a guidanceless decision. Now, what is a guidanceless decision? Well, you make a decision, right? Now, you probably prayed about it, but you didn't wait for confirmation from God. You didn't seek spiritual counsel from friends and those that know the Word of God. You simply felt like you needed to do something, so you made a decision, and you just did it. I'd call that a guidanceless decision. Now, Guidanceless decisions happen all the time. I, looking at my life, some of the biggest regrets that I have were made in that sort of way. And God, well, God sometimes has to save us from the decisions we make without his guidance. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, 
And I would say making a decision without God's confirmation is faithless. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And God in this story rescued David from Gath. David would later write in Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 that God showed up. God rescued me. He said, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will rend thank offering to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Well, God can't have us making decisions without guidance all the time, right? So what does he do? He begins to give guidance to David. He brings guidance to David. Well, in the caves, God gave David the gift that no one asked for. He brings this like group of riffraff around David, this, this motley crew. Look at verse 2. It says, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became the commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Thanks, God. Commander of the castaways, this motley crew. I was like this up-and-coming general. I commanded the best of the military might, and these are the kind of people you're bringing around me? Why? Well, I see two purposes. Purpose number one is that God always has room in his inner circle for castaways. And you should thank God for that. I mean, think about Jesus' little motley crew. Fisherman, a zealot, a tax collector. Let me just tell you, if I'm building a team, no way. None of them, right? None. But they're the guys that turn the world upside down. And if God has space in his inner circle for castaways, that means God has space in his inner circle for you. Now, you might not like that connection, but Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, who among you is of the most powerful? Who among you is the richest? It's not some elite class religion. It's a religion for everyone, Christianity. Second thing we see is that David would grow personally. Because it's easy to lead uh, the t- types of people uh, that are the most competent when you have all the say-so. You go do this, they go do that. But real leadership is proven when you can take the downcast, build them up by giving them a purpose. That's real leadership. That's the call of every pastor of every church, every elder of every church, every church leader, every Christian of every church. Build people up by giving them a better purpose. Transformative leadership, right? Now, remarkably, it is only after the castaways arrive that David begins to receive guidance from the Lord. Now, again, David makes a calculating decision. It's not safe to stay in the land. It's certainly not safe to go to Gath. Maybe I'm going to work some old, you know, blood ties. My, my great-great-grandmother, Ruth, she was a Moabitess. Maybe I'll go over to Moab and see if I can find some protection there. So what does David do? He relocates. And it's here in Moab that David receives his first prophetic word from the prophet Gad. Now, where did Gad come from? 
Well, the Bible doesn't say. Could he have been one of those in distress or debt or bitter in soul? Probably. And it's here when he gets into David's band of brothers that he begins to exercise his spiritual gift. David, do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. Now, maybe you've experienced this in your spiritual walk. Sometimes God amends your plans with plans that don't make sense to your calculating mind. You think something's really, really smart, and then God says to do something else, and it doesn't seem really, really smart. Think about his situation and dynamic in Moab. The forest location would have provided excellent protection against large organized forces that Saul might bring against David. However, David realized something about God that Saul never understood. Remember the Lord's critique of Saul? To obey is better than sacrifice. To listen is better than the fat of rams. What you're going to learn as you walk with God in your life is that God's protection is far safer than any stronghold that man could make. My family, we were reading through the Psalms. We're doing that for family devotions. And last week we were looking at Psalm 2. I love the Psalms. I love Psalm 1 and 2. These two psalms have two principles for us that really represent the gateway to the rest of the psalms, or you could even say the gateway to all of the spiritual life. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 2 says, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. In our spiritual life, we're always in a state between wrestling and resting. Wrestling is when I'm trying to make things happen my way. Wrestling prayers are like this, God, I think this is a great decision. I would love it if you blessed it. That's Jacob. Uh, Jacob's life, the first big part of his life, is wrestling with God until he actually physically wrestles with God and God touches his hip and he changes his life. Prayers of rest are like this. God, what do you want me to do? Where are you leading? Where are you heading? The first and most important lesson in the spiritual life is this. God is my leader. And his leadership represents safety for me. Now, don't misunderstand me. The safety we find in God is not that you will never experience danger. David is experiencing danger right now. Now, the safety is that God is in control over ultimate outcomes. What's the worst that can happen to you? You lose your life? Well, God compensates that with eternity. That's how in control he is. Now we look at Psalm 1 for a second and we move into our next episode when God speaks clearly. You see, Psalm 1 reminds us that special revelation is superior. Remember, it says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. There's two forms of uh, revelation that systematic theologians talk about. The first form is called general 
revelation. That's revelation that comes to all people as a special act of God's grace. No matter where you are, no matter where you live, you wake up every morning, you see the sunrise, you see nature. The logical mind says, this looks designed, therefore there must be a God. Special revelation is when God speaks with clarity and directly. Now, in the next episode, we're looking at chapter 23, verses 1 to 14. David is going to show us something about special revelation. He's presented with two very complex ideas. In the first five verses, David becomes aware that the Philistines are going to invade a town in Judah called Keilah. Verse 2 says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and I attack the Philistines? He's a Philist, uh, an Israelite through and through. He wants to protect the people of God and the land of God. The Lord answers, go to Keilah. However, when he's presented... When he presents that decision to his men, they all push back. What in the world are you talking about right now? That's not a great idea, David. We're heading deeper into Saul's territory. We should go do something else. So verse 4, David inquires of the Lord again. And again, God says what? Go. They go, and the Lord hands them a decisive victory. Now, why does David suddenly start receiving this form of communication from the Lord? Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that when Abiathar, the son of Abimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he came down with an aphod in his hand. If you read chapter 22, the story right after the one we just read, Saul goes to Nob, the location of the priests, and he slaughters everyone. Only Abiathar escapes. And the detail that we see here in the text is it says, he came down with an aphod in his hand. So that's not a throwaway line. It's a hinge line for all that we're reading right now. Through Abiathar and the aphod, David now has access to the only revelatory device sanctioned by the Torah. If you want to read more about that, you can look at Numbers 27, verse 21. So this special revelation gives David the real advantage as Saul continues the hunt. When it comes to guidance, you have to understand this. Decisions guided by objective truth from special revelation are always superior to subjective or emotional decisions. Now, you're reading that line, and you're like, what does that mean? We'll unpack it a little bit. But let's start with this idea. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't speak to us through our emotions. Of course God speaks to us through our emotions. I wouldn't be here on Cape Cod if God didn't do that. He said, I want you to be here, and I said, okay. But I'm saying that that's not the superior form of God's communication to us. Saul represents subjective or emotional decision-making. You see a contrast in these verses. He assumes wrongly that the circumstances represent God's favor. Look at verses 7 and 8. You'll see that. It says, It was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars, and Saul summoned all the people to war. 
You get that? The conditions are favorable. God must be blessing me. Sometimes our emotions confirm our own bias. I really, really want this to happen, so I start praying really, really hard that this might happen, and my emotions are telling me that I really, really want this to happen. Therefore, God must really, really want this to happen too. Ooh. Do not let your emotions drive the bus. Do not let your emotions dictate your decisions because emotions can be fickle. They can be powerful motivators, and when your emotions align with the truth, they compel you forward. But sometimes my emotions actually compel me to pursue sinful cravings. Emotions must always be subservient to truth. If I feel something is right, but the Bible says that it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. You don't even have to ask any more questions. You know without a shadow of a doubt. So look at David, and he provides the contrast. I love verse 9. It says, David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. Now, how do you react within your emotions to news like that? (laughs) Well, I start running around. Maybe you're like a caged animal, and you just want to flee. Or maybe you go into commander mode. you got these 400 guys. All right, you do this, you do that, you do this. Or you become a diplomat of sorts. Okay, town of Keilah. I'll give you these concessions if you protect me in this sort of way. David doesn't do any of that. The text says what? David said to Abiathar the priest, bring the aphod here. See, if you have special revelation at your fingertips, that's always supposed to be your first response. And David is showing us that objective truth is superior. It's the superior form of guidance. Look at the clarity he gets from the Lord in verses 10 through 12. Will Saul come down? Yes, he will. Will Keilah surrender us to him? Yes, they will. There's no guesswork here. And that's because special revelation is God's best form of guidance to the believer. Now, I know just what you're thinking. Well, I can't just say bring the aphod here. (laughs) I wish I could, but I can't. Well, it turns out that God doesn't speak to us through that form of revelation today. But I want to suggest we have a superior form of revelation. We have God's Word, the Bible, a complete revelation of God's counsel to us. In our own doctrinal statement, we express it like this. We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men uniquely inspired by God and is a perfect collection of spiritual instruction. Its author is God. Its aim is salvation. And its content is pure truth without error. Where else can you go to get pure truth without error? Now, there are some people that purport that they're giving you that, but they're not. Only the Scriptures. The Bible reveals everything we need to learn from God for life, godliness, and salvation. Therefore, it forever remains the true center of Christian unity and the supreme standard by which all human behavior, belief, and opinion should be tested. I know sometimes we want more of the details filled out. What kind of job should I have? 
or should I live? But focus less on those details and focus more on what's clear from the Bible. For example, should you be serving in the church? The answer is yes. <laughs> well, how do I know that? Because God said so in his word. Or you're coming up to a big decision. Should I buy this car and go into crippling debt in order to get this car? And the answer is no. Why? Because the Bible says you should not live with crippling debt. That will be your master if you get into crippling debt. Don't listen to your emotions. Let objective truth guide you because objective truth is superior to my emotions. Let's look at another form of guidance, episode number three, when God uses a friend to speak. So God brings back an old friend of David's, verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness at Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Just imagine David's state of mind and heart right now. He's just left Keilah. He put himself out there. He put his men out there. They underwent great risk to save the city. He prays, and God says, they will throw you over the wall in just a second. Like, they will betray you. Now talk about having your confidence destroyed. He's been told he's going to be king. He saves a town. You can only imagine what your mind would do in a situation like that. Well, some king I'm going to be. I can't even get this lone town to be loyal to me. How am I going to be king over all of Israel? Now, Jonathan is a compassionate, empathetic guy, and I think he understands that David is in a pretty bad place. So what does he do? He gives David the ministry of presence. You see, our presence is a gift that we offer to one another. And we learned this during the pandemic. Zoom is okay. But it's not face-to-face. There's something about physical proximity. Anything less is less than ideal. Look at Jonathan. He goes out of his way to provide physical proximity to David could have sent him a letter, but he goes to him. Now, I look at that and I begin to question, do we do that? Do we put ourselves out there in order to minister to others with our presence? There's two pastors that have given the same advice to me. They're guys I respect. They say, every time I'm getting my calendar out, and I'm prioritizing my year, I place the significant relationships in the calendar before any task. That is sagely. Do we do that? Now, don't misconstrue things here. 
That presence is very valuable, but it's not the most valuable thing that Jonathan could give David. The most valuable thing he gives him is the abiding encouragement of God's promises. You know, Jonathan could have went to David and just commiserated with him. Oh, David, things are really bad, man. Oh, oh. well, I'm going to be here for you, buddy. You just call me if you need anything. It's kind of like Job's friends. Remember them? He goes through this dramatic situation. His friends come around him. They sit with him for seven days, and the best thing they did for seven days was they didn't talk. And then they open their mouths. And it's just like full-on gobbledygook. Now, I imagine Jonathan coming to David like this. He, he looks at the downcast man. He picks up his head. He looks him in the eyes, and he says, remember God's promises. You are going to be king I know this. My father knows this. Sometimes you can help and encourage someone by telling them what they already know to be true. I I come alongside people and sometimes I bring this encouragement. I know that you already know this. It's not an issue of comprehension. It's an issue of confidence. And here's the thing about truth. Truth tends to ring truest in the ear. In the ear. Meaning, I need to receive the truth from another person. We can get very educational with our Christianity and say, I'm going to study my Bible on my own. I'm going to master this book on my own. But, it, but that can actually lead me to do something contradictory to the Bible, which is to be outside of community. I need other believers to speak the word to me. Colossians, Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how does the word of Christ dwell in us richly? By teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Do you know that some of you are a lot smarter than I am? And you say things, as we're talking about the scriptures, that I never would have thought about? God uses the community to build up the body. Let's look at this last episode. God speaks through providence. The final episode is verses 19 through 29 of chapter 23. David has received his encouragement. He is once again betrayed by the Ziphites, who happen to be from his own clan, the Judites. And Saul immediately brings men to capture David. So we'll pick up at verse 25 and we'll see God's providence work out in these verses. Verse 25, Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain and David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of escape. I love that. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. 
Who is expecting the Philistines to be the Savior in the story? No one. They're attacking Israel. They're not expecting to save David. That's not their goal or ambition. And David is certainly not expecting relief to come from them. I love what Dale Ralph Davis says. He says, The frequent mark of God's providence is that it's a strange twist, sometimes with a touch of humor. That's how God works. And I want to suggest that God's speaking to David through his providence. David, I'm with you. David, even when it feels like you are between a rock and a hard place, when your situation, your circumstances feel impossible, I can turn things upside down anytime I want. David, I'm going to fulfill my promise. No matter how drastic the situation seems, I'm with you. See, friends, as we've looked at all of these episodes, we're seeing that God is constantly leading and He's constantly guiding. The real question is, are you listening? Are you looking? Sometimes are you reflecting? As we close our time in the sermon this morning, I'm going to have you watch a video by Jen Merriman. Jen and Adrian and the Merriman crew joined our church recently, and they have an incredible story of how God has led in their life. Jen does a great job of recapping that. She'll close that time with a prayer. Josiah and the team will come up, and then we'll conclude our service. But before Jen speaks to us, let me just offer this blessing over you. This week, may you experience the love of God in a special way. May you grow to look more like Jesus, and may you be filled with the Holy Spirit. God bless you.